0: Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippey. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
1: What's up? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. It is our Sunday SEC football conversation with Weldon Rodenberg. We talked about the Rebels surviving 27-20 to 20 in a win over Arkansas before they head into the bye week. We discussed a strong defensive performance Some injuries on the offensive side of the football, another fourth quarter drive when Ole Miss had to have it. And where this team is positioned as they head into a bye week five and one and really everything in front of them in a relatively uh, healthy or clean bill of health, I should say. So we also took a look around the SEC. And of course, at the end, the fastest growing segment on American soil, it is Soccer Corner. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy this podcast before we do. I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by C Spire. Time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with C Spire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why C Spire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. C Spire also prides themselves with best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local, based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. C-SPIRE provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and southern Alabama regions. C-SPIRE is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plan. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today and use promo code Rippy R-I-P-P-E-E, R-I-P-P-E-E and you'll get one month of free service. So you get a free month of internet service and the best internet service in the market just for listening to this podcast. How about that? Check them out. C Spire, customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Carnival, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're a Skybox member, you went 11 and 4 on NFL picks over the weekend, plus 8.5 units. Some of you out there who didn't use Skybox, probably hurting in the wallet, probably hurting in the old Venmo account, having to pay the man. You should sign up to Skybox Sports Picks today. Go online, find a Picks package within your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can try NFL. You can try college. You can try all the sports. I recommend going with a year-long all-access pass because you will make every year a profitable one with Skybox. You don't want to lose money this football season. Maybe we're a month and a half into this, maybe you're already in a little bit of a hole. Use Skybox to help you pull out of it. They're the professionals. Their picks are based on data and modeling, not leans 5 minutes before kickoff. They'll send you picks in a nice color-coded spreadsheet and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code Rippey, RIPPEE and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks. .com. All right, here's Walden and I talking the win over Arkansas. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Srippy Rights football correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg. The Rebels survive Arkansas 27-20 to, to move to 5-1 and one entering the bye week. Weird game. Uh, I predicted in Neil's picks that uh, this would be the first one in the last few years that didn't get weird. I thought Arkansas couldn't block. I thought the Ole Miss offense was rounding into form and that this one wouldn't be particularly close. But uh, I was definitely wrong as the offense drug its feet and the defense uh, covered for them slightly the inverse of last week. But I guess the overall feeling I got from this is they survived and they're now at the halfway point with the bye, and that's really all that matters.
0: That's definitely all that matters. Uh, This was a really weird situational game for Ole Miss, uh, especially for college kids. You come off like an incredibly emotional, tough-fought win against LSU. Arkansas is kind of like a, you know, dead man walking, expecting some sort of, you know, dead cat bounce game from them. KJ Jefferson, you know, all-star game as all time, you know, this is his game. And then you're sandwiched in between a bye week. So, I mean, just situationally, this is like a really difficult, you know, spot for Ole Miss. And we talk about a lot of that a lot with NFL games and college games. It's just – it's one of those things you have to overcome. And, you know, they weren't perfect – Dark getting hurt early. He was clearly off. Uh, but at the end of the day, and it's kind of like the theme of college football this, this season, is that it's a week by week, and you just kind of have to survive in the games that you're supposed to win. And they did that, so they get plenty of credit for it.
1: Yeah, and that one absolutely could have gotten weird on him in a hurry. I mean, there was a point in the fourth quarter where it did kind of get weird. Arkansas scores to go ahead. Ole Miss had done nothing offensively. But to their credit, when they had to, they put together drives back-to-back weeks when it absolutely mattered the most, and they got it done – it was uh it was a strange game from the start because Ole Miss comes out and gives like goes three and out, gives in the ball. Arkansas kind of methodically, I say methodically moves it down the field. They weren't even really moving the ball that well. Ole Miss gave him a penalty induced third down. There's like a second and 20 that was complete where it was like, How in the world is that ball caught? There's a PI on it anyway. It wasn't like Arkansas was moving consistently, but Ole Miss's mistakes and inability to get off the field on third down early in the game really kept Arkansas in it, particularly at that point where Ole Miss was up 10 to 7. You know, I think at one point stretched it to 17 to 7 and had the ball. But those types of mistakes defensively on a night where they largely played a very good game, not to start on like a negative note defensively, but I felt like that kept Arkansas afloat where Ole Miss could have easily made that thing 24 to 7, 20 to 7, and it felt a lot different coming out in the third quarter.
0: Yeah, they did something in the first drive that I thought was really interesting, kind of bizarre almost. Uh, They got them in two third and longs, and they went – I mean, looked like Hail Mary prevent defense on both of those. I mean, safeties are five yards past the sticks, three-man rush, and they got it both times. The first one on, in my opinion, an absolutely terrible pass interference call against Prince, and I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit of that the refs in this game, and then they kind of just methodically moved it down. It was like a 15-play touchdown drive with, I think, like three or four third-down conversions. Not what you wanted to see coming out of a a three-and-out, the first that I can remember in a long time for a Kiffin team on offense. And you felt that, you know, Arkansas-Ole Miss, it was going to be one of those games. And in the end, it kind of was one of those games but not to the same extent of just ridiculousness. It was just one of those where you had to kind of gut it out against a team that you're better than, uh, despite, you know, just being what this game has been for the past few years for Ole Miss.
1: It lacked a lot of the dramatic and silly plays we've become used to in the series, but it still possessed the same weird feel where the whole time where you're like, I'm not exactly sure if you're an Ole Miss fan, like I have a great feeling about this. I'm not really sure how this game is going to go. I noticed the – I don't know the official term for it because obviously I'm not like an X's and O's junkie by any stretch, but the, I call it the wall coverage. Like it's the prevent where you line up the, the secondary, you know, at the sticks or a few yards past the sticks. I noticed they did that really for the first time this year, outside of maybe like situationally at the end of the game where it actually like, you know, warrants it, or you see it more commonly. And Arkansas did get it twice. One was a tough PI call, as you mentioned earlier. The second one was on the third and 20 where they ran, Honestly, kind of the perfect play to combat it. They brought a guy on a drag across from where they had the rest of the receivers lined up, and they went and basically served as blockers after the kid caught the ball. They got like 13 or 14 of the yards back and then, of course, convert the fourth and six. I thought that was an an interesting wrinkle that I had not seen from Ole Miss again, without knowing exactly how scheming Arkansas works. But I imagine part of that was the fact that Arkansas had not really had any sort of deep threat passing game throughout most of the year. Most of the stuff was intermediate through the middle of the field. Maybe that's what coaxed the coverage. But they kind of got burned on it, you know, hindsight being 20-20. But man, if Ole Miss gets off the field a couple of times there, instead of allowing, you know, the 15-play drive on the first first drive, maybe it doesn't have the weirdness. But uh, just an odd start. And then, like, a couple of the third-down conversions – it wasn't like Jefferson threw a dime. Two of them that I remember. I think one of them is in the second half. But it felt like it took the it took the ball, you know, two years to actually get there. Then all of a sudden it lands in a guy's hands, and it's like what What is going on here?" There's just I don't know elements of weirdness on that piece of it. But you know, Ole Miss survived a game in which they didn't play very well offensively. And as we talk about this becoming a much more week to week conference without a dominant team, and you know no one's really terrible other than maybe Vanderbilt or Mississippi State. So it's a lot of you know, average to slightly above average in the middle, I guess it really is kind of about survival and winning games in different ways. And I guess if you're not just a great team, the best attributes you can have is one, being resilient, and two, being able to, you know, morph yourself into winning games and different types of games. And, you know, back-to-back weeks, Ole Miss, if you want to look at throughout a positive lens, has found a way to do that in two totally different ways.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you have to be resilient. And you have to come out on top. They've been really good in the fourth quarter in a lot of these games, with the exception of, of course, their only loss. Um, which is something of note. Uh, I will say watching this game, you know, I know this is not gonna help me with the LSU people, but it's just telling you how good that LSU offense is. Yeah. Because Golmes' defense looked great today. I mean, they really did, but I think a lot of that has to do with whatever the hell Danny Nose has done to KJ Jefferson and that Arkansas team. Um yeah, can we talk
1: about that for a second? I don't get that offense, and again. I'm I hate I'm, I'm as slow as anyone to second guess coaching and play calling and scheme because that's just the classic like guy sitting on the couch doesn't know exactly what's going on. I'm not even gonna throw a specific criticism. I just don't get it. It's not fun to watch. It looks terrible. They struggled with basic, like slow mesh concepts. I didn't understand any of it. And it's a shame because KJ Jefferson is a ton of fun to watch play. But uh, Dan Enos, don't know what you're doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, not only the fact that he can't call offense, but he's also responding to uh, students' emails throughout the week discussing how poor the offense is. So that's always good to see uh, from a hired you know, employee making over a million dollars uh, over there in Arkansas. So I don't really know what the actual issue is. Um, I mean, they definitely are really struggling on the offensive line, which is a pretty big indictment on their head coach who's supposed to be an offensive line recruiter and specialist. That's a pretty bad sign for the future of his tenure there, unfortunately. Um, But no, KJ looks out of sync. They look so slow, Um, and they don't even—I mean, they missing the tight end, which is obviously a pretty key uh, part of this deal. But look, I mean, we've said about Ole Miss, like you shouldn't lose one player and then have your entire team like fall apart. You know, as Ole Miss has kind of seen here and there with when Trey Harris goes out. So that's a pretty tough product over there. Um, Defensively, Arkansas played okay. But, I mean, even then, like, they really are struggling in in pretty much every facet. They're just average at everything. Um, And, look, that doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to beat a team like that. Like I said, this is an incredibly difficult situational spot for Ole Miss. I thought 13 points in this situation was an outrageous line. Um, That just way too many points considering everything with both teams – uh, going into this game. But look, they they won. They made the plays they had to do. I mean, Arkansas goes down and takes the lead on like kind of like what was it, a 21-0 stretch there? Or a 20 to zero stretch. Yeah.
1: Or er, there's 17-7 er, was, at halftime.
0: Yeah. So 13, nothing. 13. I'm not good at math, old miss graduate. That would um, two of us. <laughs> a three uh a three score stretch there, I guess at least. And you know, all that all they did next was just drive down the field with you know semi relative ease with a one fourth down conversion, and then just take the lead right back. And then that was kind of that. Um, you know, they should have blown it even further open on the the goal line stand that Arkansas kind of had with some, you know, just not being able to get a push. But like I said in the beginning, I've never really felt like this game was in doubt at any time. I mean, there was definitely some sketchy moments but you kind of felt like they would wake up when they had to, which is what they've done all season in games like this. Um, and they get credit for it.
1: So circling back to the Enos thing for a second, because this is like a theory I sometimes have with college football coaches, where if your name's just in the mix for a while, you become a much more attractive candidate than you are. Dan Enos' path since he left becoming the head coach, he was head coach at Central Michigan for four seasons. He yeah. goes to Arkansas for three years as the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. Uh, I think that was the end of the Petrino era, if I'm not mistaken. They hired Chad Morris. He goes – spends a year as like an analyst or something in Michigan. Then he's QB, associate head coach at Alabama. Then he's the OC in 2019 in Miami for – a year then he goes to cincinnati associate head coach then he spends the last two years as the offensive coordinator at maryland do any of those stick out to you of like oh i remember that team that offense was sick that was a ton of fun to watch it's just a dude that's a, gotten a bunch of jobs his name's in the mix a lot and you're like oh dan edos that sounds nice but when you look at it it's like well does it actually i feel like there's two or three guys in college football at a time at coordinator positions that are kind of in that is this guy actually good or is he just talked about a lot
0: no, I mean it's a very, very, very fair point. I mean Josh Gaddis is a fun example of this as well. He went from you know Alabama to Michigan, where he was terrible, to Miami, where he was worse, to Maryland, where if he knew what he was doing, they actually might have had a game against Ohio State on yep. Saturday morning. I mean, he is he is horrible. Uh, he's a prime example of someone like that as well. And. It's in just another indictment on Pittman because, look, I don't know if you've been paying attention to TCU too well, but Kendall Browse and that crew has been terrible. And he's the guy that you just let walk away. So then you end up somehow like almost downgrading an offensive coordinator with a team that has like some talent on offense. The offensive line is obviously struggling. But when you've got a guy like KJ, like you're going to be able to make plays and it's pretty tough over there. And look, we said this. Before the game on what their schedule was like this year, and they should be firing Hunter check for that in itself. Um, they have to go to Alabama next week. So that's a loss. Um, and then you have to come home and play Mississippi State. You don't even have a bye week. I mean, until after Mississippi State. So it's really, really, really tough in Fayetteville right now.
1: And that's five straight losses for Arkansas, assuming they don't win in Tuscaloosa next week. And mm-hmm. I, mean, I know we talked about it last week, but just to reiterate, I wrote about it in the Friday newsletter too. Arkansas plays a home game against BYU, which they lose. Not a great start if you're going to kickstart a month-long road trip after that. You probably don't want to lose to BYU at home. But they go out OSU. Then they sandwich the Arlington game with Texas and in between back-to-back road games at Ole Miss and Alabama. And so – you, know, you talk about fairness and scheduling and I'm going to sit here and feel bad for Arkansas by any stretch, but you go from September 16th to October 21st without playing a game in your home stadium. That just, that, that defies all logic. And in, in my opinion, and I don't know why that's the case or what it is, not really my problem to deal with, but it's just, it, it, it sucks for them. It's a tough break. Um, again, maybe don't lose to BYU before you hit this stretch or pull off one of these road wins, but man, that's tough sledding. And you talk about the week to week nature of college football, Five straight losses is hard to – I mean, we talk about weekly overreactions. If you lose five of those suckers in a row, that's that's hard to overcome. And I'm curious to see what will become of Sam Pittman. Maybe they rebound in the second half of the year. They were showing stats throughout the broadcast when I watched the game today that he was like one first coach in quite a while, or I can't remember the exact year, that went to three bowl games in a row as Arkansas as head coach in their first three years. I don't really know what to make of Pittman. I think they like him a lot but five straight losses in year four is going to be something that's hard to overcome unless they really turn it around post-Halloween.
0: It's going to be tough to do it. I mean, five losses in a row, that's when you're losing locker rooms. They've been a pretty big transfer portal team uh, over the few years to kind of supplement some of the issues they've had with recruiting that have shown up. Uh, You just don't know if those guys are going to play well. I mean, we talk about it with Ole Miss as well, had they had some issues this season you saw at the end of last season. It's just a really, really difficult – Um, And then, of course, you know, just politically, you've got Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC, which is Arkansas loves to. I mean, they have to live inside of the state of Texas to be successful with the lack of in-state talent that they have there. And that's just going to bring even more pressure on the program to be in the best position it can be going into next year with a 12-team playoff and those two guys coming in and, I mean, those two guys look ready <laughs> and Arkansas does not look ready for them to be there. So it, it's a really difficult situation up there. I I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. Obviously, I'm sure they're probably if they're doing things correctly, beginning to make lists in case things really walk, fall off the wagon, which I mean, they kind of already have. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's tough, though. It, it's definitely, definitely going to be an issue for them.
1: Getting back to the game for a second, Ole Miss is a week after they were you know, pitched almost a perfect game offensively. It was tough sledding, particularly on third down. And you had Dart who got injured on the second play of the game. And I thought it was interesting that Kiffin mentioned that because if you would have actually made me guess, I would have thought he got hurt on the longer run where he kind of fell awkwardly on his hip afterward which he was maybe later in that drive or the next drive but you know if, if if he's hurt like Kiffin says on the second play of the game you could tell he was kind of off after that I think he was hesitant both throwing the football but also hesitant to run after that you know that play when he's running to the far sideline in the third quarter and he has some room to run but he also has Quinchon Judkin seven or eight yards down the field on near that sideline and he throws it very clearly past the sticks you know, boneheaded mistake injury or not. Like that's what he kind of doing there. But I just wonder if he doesn't tuck that ball and run, if he's feeling fully healthy uh, with whatever leg ailment or whatever he had on that play that he gets hurt the second play of the game, but he was clearly off and not his best game. And then you lose Trey Harris for the fourth quarter. And honestly, it was a little bit of a wonder that Ole Miss was able to, you know, they entered that drive in the fourth quarter when they were down 20 to 17, I believe they were 0 of nine on third down and they finished four for their last four. So, I don't know what to make of that, but given every all the moving parts and who they have and didn't have healthy and available at that point, it was kind of amazing they were able to put the touchdown drive together and actually be better on third down when they had to.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were at one point, I think 0 for nine on third down, or definitely 0 for eight. They I entered the
1: fourth about. quarter without hitting they uh without having a third down conversion. They that drive where they were down 20 to 17 and they scored a go up 24 to 20. That was the first two third down conversions on that drive that they'd hit all game.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's really, really bad. But Dart kind of being, you know, semi-immobilized definitely had an effect on that. Um, They got behind the chains on some penalties and drives. Uh, He was very tentative to run. You brought up that play with Judkins. I mean, he just looked completely confused on what he wanted to do there uh, in that situation. And you could just see it throughout the game, just not looking confident uh, in in his legs at all. I mean, that's why they took so many sacks. Uh, because he was just in the pocket, kind of like, I can't run out of here. No one's open. I don't know what to do here. Uh, so, no, it was definitely a really, really tough offensive day with him like that. Uh, you saw it a little bit last year where he would get injured. He just kind of wasn't the same player, which is, you know, that's kind of everybody. It's not a Jackson Jackson Dart specific issue by any means. Uh, but, I mean, it was hampering the team for the entire night, which is unfortunate. But, look, at the end of the day, they kind of made the plays when they had to. You had Ulysses Bentley came up huge. Jordan Watkins once again is just super, super clutch on two huge third downs late in the game. Uh, so I mean it was an impressive and gutsy effort, but it was definitely not clean by any means.
1: Yeah, was it wasn't. And it was it's a credit to the defense for keeping them at bay and honestly keeping Ole Miss having a lead for most of the game. When yeah. after Arkansas scores uh a touchdown on their opening drive. They go seven straight possessions without a touchdown. You have an interception, four straight punts, and two straight field goals over the next seven trips. And Ole Miss wasn't able to create separation, but a couple of those field goal drives, um, Ole Miss, you know, Arkansas was one, threatening to either tie the game, and then on the second one, threatening to take the lead. And Ole Miss kept him, um, or excuse me, threatening to uh, tie the game on the second one. And Ole Miss kept him out of the end zone when it looked like Arkansas was about to score to tie the game and cha- really change the complexion of that game. And then, of course, you have the turnover on down for Miss, and Arkansas finally responds with the touchdown. That was kind of the point where the offense wasn't doing a whole lot. I think they had gone in that third quarter. Maybe that was the first drive of their third quarter. But the defense looked gassed, and they looked like they'd been on the field a lot at that point. And then Arkansas finally kind of broke them and got the touchdown. But then Ole Miss responds, 12 plays, 75 yards, about as good as a drive as you could draw up after the the trickery to get that first first down. It took them uh, all four downs. Uh, Who knows what would have happened in the game after that. But again, you talk about resiliency, you talk about a team having to do what it needs to do in the fourth quarter. They've shown outside of the Alabama game to be really good when it matters the most. I mean, 12 plays, 75 yards when you're down for the first time since the first quarter is uh, pretty strong stuff. And I think, you know, if nothing else, resiliency would be something that helps this team a ton in the second half of the
0: season. Yeah, I mean, even – you know, talking about the defense and the way they played, you know, they, they held into those field goals. And honestly, it was really even better than that because one of those field goals was like a 56-yard, you know, bazooka kick. I couldn't by, believe that
1: kid made that.
0: Yeah. Because the they lined made,
1: up to go for it, called a timeout, then bring the kid out there, and he nailed it.
0: Yeah, no, it was really, really impressive. The depth showed up for the defense this game because, like you said, I mean, they were sustaining some drives here and there. And it was just very, very much been don't break in a lot of those scenarios. Uh, They got to Jefferson a lot, even not even really even blitzing all that often. They were able to get there with four, uh, talking about the offensive line, having issues from Arkansas. Uh, But, I mean, the offense going back to Ole Miss, I mean, they didn't really have anything going. You know, I mean, Bentley had a few runs here and there, and Judkins had some conversions, but it wasn't like they were grounding and pounding. Uh, They just kind of made really big plays. Uh, Watkins made those two plays. I know I brought up earlier – it's just, it was just consistently being there when they had to be there. And that's really important in games like this. There's a lot of toss up games in the league this year. Nobody is great. You're seeing week by week, you know, Tennessee gets their ass kicked by Florida, then comes back and beats South Carolina. Kentucky then gets killed by Georgia. Missouri, five. I mean, there's just so, I don't want to say parody necessarily, because it looks like we're about to get another Georgia Alabama SEC championship, but. In the middle of this league and in the upper middle of this league, these are games you just are going to have to win to keep your goals alive. And there were points in this game, though it never really felt like they were going to lose, where you're like, man, like Ole Miss has everything in front of them right here. You can't drop this one, you know, because you have the bye week and then you have obviously a huge game at Auburn and they just made it happen. And that's a credit to Kiffin, you know, that, that we always shit on him for this, you know, kind of weird stat about the top 25 wins, which is skewed and like barely even correct, but he's done a really, really good job of beating the teams he's supposed to beat. And he's done an even better job at doing that at home. Um, I think if this game was in Fayetteville, it would have been a little sketchy, uh, which is pretty obvious. um, Considering Ole Miss's luck up there in recent years, but they did it. And, now they're at 5-1 and one with the bye week. They get to get healthier. Dart and Trey and even Franklin, who like was not really a factor in this game at all, uh, all have a chance to have two weeks to really get riled up because they're going to have a really tough one in two. I know Auburn's not very good, but their defense is, and that's a really difficult place to play on the road. And if I had any guess, that just feels like an ESPN 6 o'clock kickoff for that game. Um, I don't have not looked at the slate that week, but it feels like they're going to make that one a, a mini prime time, if anything. So yeah, uh, they got out of there with a win. And that's all they really needed to do. It just wasn't that pretty.
1: Jordan Watkins, seven catches for 90 yards, 86 yards somewhere in there. I can't remember. I'll I okay. 86 yards. Um, he and Bentley were the only two you know, running back pass catching guys that had more than about 64 yards. Uh, From scrimmage, Trey Harris is the most talented receiver on this team. He's the best receiver on this team. It seems like Jordan Watkins might be the receiver that Jackson Dart trusts the most. It just seems time and time again when they have to have something, things aren't going well. Jordan Watkins somehow makes a catch either around or close to the sticks, mostly a lot of times near the sideline for some kind of crucial conversion. He's just kind of a steady presence. I know that he's been called a coach on the field and all that cliched stuff, but a very mature, steady guy that Dart seems to trust a lot. It's uh, it's something that's really Ole Miss has really benefited from this year, and he came up huge again because, again, in a game where they're not having a ton of offensive success without Jordan Watkins' seven catches, I don't really know what we're talking about today. He made some huge ones when they absolutely had to have it.
0: Yeah, and he does something that's incredibly important that people don't talk about as much is that he just doesn't drop the ball. Yep. Like almost never. I think Chase said what he had three drops in his career on targets. That's pretty like nuts. Nice. It's insane. And it's a com- incredibly underrated statistic because you don't really talk about it. It's like the classic, you know, you don't talk about the offensive line until they screw up. You don't talk about drops until you have them. And it's not even a conversation because for him, he's always right on the sticks. He's always right in the right spot. And he just never drops the ball. And I think that's really why Dart trusts him so much in those scenarios because even if he's just a little open or a little covered, it doesn't really matter. If you put it on target, the kid's going to catch the ball. Uh, and that's just a completely uh, invaluable stat and valuable you know, confidence to have as a quarterback, especially when he's hampered, so just know you've got a safety blanket like that. And we kind of thought pre-scoring was going to be that, and he's still working his way into this system uh, to be more you know consistent whether that's in blocking or pass catching or understanding the offense or getting in game shape. I don't know what uh, the deal is there. Um, I'm, I'm not even saying that in a negative way. It's just that he hasn't been the biggest factor except for the LSU game where he had like, you know, three big catches. So I'm not like trying to counteract my statement. But last night he was just wasn't there. And Jordan was. And that's just massive.
1: It was, I was going to go to pre next. You know, he has the game where it feels like, okay, he's back. He's in game shape after kind of getting his feet wet in the Alabama game. Was very impactful against OSU. Had the big third down catches. Was also awesome in the running game. Uh, Ken Williams and not fans of Caden pre I feel like he got picked on by the officiating crew for some of the night. I know he had a couple holds. One of them felt less, one of them felt more warranted as far as a flag than the other. Then he just gets absolutely jobbed on a, on a, bizarre false start call that looked very clearly off sides. He just felt like the man in the – uh, he felt like the guy of the night that was in the a bad officiating crew's crosshairs. And I imagine for him that had to have – thwarted him, or at least made it more difficult for him to get in the rhythm of a game. But he had a huge block on either a Judkins or a Bentley run late. So credit to him, I guess, for kind of sticking at it. But it just felt like the game where he couldn't really do anything right. And I don't necessarily mean that directed at pre It's just every time he looked up, he had some kind of tough penalty called on him. It was just a very weird night for him from the start.
0: Yeah, he got killed. And this is like (laughs) kind of getting consistent with him with just terrible holding calls. And they're not terrible because he's doing the wrong thing. They're terrible because they're just calling ridiculous calls for him just blocking people into the ground um i I think he'll get in rhythm i I think he's going to be fine um he's clearly making a difference in the run game Uh, they weren't dominant by any means in this game but they kind of got the yards when they needed them uh you know at least later in the game they did you know they had they struggled in the middle eight uh i'm not worried about him at all uh but it's just interesting how he's being used in the game plan week by week. And we've only, I guess, technically seen really two and a half weeks of this uh, with him because Alabama, then I mean, that wasn't really too much of a data point right there. Uh, but look, he gets another opportunity for two weeks. You know, we will not talk about it, but he gets to get even healthier uh, over this bye week hopefully getting in better game shape. And then he's absolutely going to be needed against Auburn in two weeks as those guys actually have a really good defense.
1: We'll get back to Walden in just a second. But before we do, I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your Go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted tea is there to elevate your game day experience it perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments so let's toast to unforgettable game day experience twisted tea the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football keep it twisted Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Rights subscriber. That's rippywrites.substack.com. You get a free newsletter for me and discounted meats. Right now it's three six ounce bacon wrap filets for 20 bucks. It's about a $40 evaluation you're getting there for $20. Just go in, show Greg proof of subscription, tell him you know about the Rippy Rights newsletter. He'll get you set up and then go find all of your own favorites. It's the greatest butcher shop in the world. Incredible cuts of meat. I love the filet burgers, all kinds of delicious sausages. The tri-tip is incredible. It's truly a gem of Oxford and a gem of the South. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Weldon. Absolutely. And then along the lines, it was actually, the, I think, the first game this season that Ole Miss has been the less penalized team. But then they had a the very couple of weird calls. I thought Kiffin was going to have – Uh, His head explode when they don't call the late hit out of bounds on Dart on the near sideline there on one of those drives. What do you make of this? And the SEC has not updated their stats for today yet, so I'm going off entering the game. Entering the game, Ole Miss was the most penalized team in the SEC through five games, 36, I believe, tied with Tennessee and Arkansas. And then they've had the least amount of penalties called on their opponents. Only 21 penalties have been called on their opponents. LSU, the least penalized team in the conference at 21 penalties, just to kind of mirror that up. I don't know what to make of it at all. It's probably, I mean, as much as people would like us to delve into conspiracy theories why the league hates Ole Miss, it has been a very unfortunate officiating year for Ole Miss, whether it's them making dumb penalties or being on the wrong side of 50-50 calls. It's just been a weird whistle throughout six games for Ole Miss so far.
0: So there's two parts of this. Uh, The first part being that the offensive line, they definitely hold a lot. They've had procedure penalties. They are definitely hold a lot. That's just a fact. Um, and they've been called on it quite a lot. And the large majority of those calls are correct. Uh, no issues there. This Arkansas game, officiating wise, was was terrible. I mean, it was really, really, really bad. The false start, I mean, that's just simple. That's like day one stuff for officials, is when they jump off sides, you're supposed to react to it to get the penalty called, and they just completely. Screwed that up. Uh, the DeAndre Prince pass interference call on the first drive for Arkansas was absolutely terrible. That was an uncatchable ball. The receiver is walking in he's not even trying to make a play on it. And Prince is, and they end up calling him because he kind of nudged him in the back. And that all encompassed in the Jackson Dart play, which was, I mean, just unexplainable. I mean, it, we have to teach these guys how to be soccer players and to flop when they're out of bounds. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he got only, penalized for not falling.
0: He got penalized for not falling. And then is because this guy catches him.
1: Right. But he gets he, caught by his own sideline. It should have been on the far sideline. They wouldn't have caught him, I don't guess. And maybe it gets called. Insane.
0: You no, know, maybe. No, it might as <laughs> well have been on the Arkansas sideline. And then Kiffin is just berating the official, as he should have. And he looked like he was about to throw the flag. Until Kiffin yelled at him and then he just kept it in his pocket, which should not affect anything. You shouldn't balk based on sideline or coach reaction. It was unreal. He literally looked like he was going to take the flag and then he just didn't do it because Kiffin was yelling at him for an absolutely obvious, uh, what do you call it, late hit penalty. It's just, it was really, really, really poor. And honestly, the only reason Arkansas had more penalties was because they had like, I mean, like they did in the LSU game, like seven false start penalties. So it wasn't like, you know, it was some sort of weird imbalance. They were just – had terrible procedure penalties. Um, I mean, I don't know what to do about it. The refs, they've been terrible all over the place. This one just felt like particularly bad. Um, And I don't even think – like the LSU game last week, I don't think the Brian Thomas thing was a touchdown. It was a weird call. It was close, whatever. Uh, the rest of the game, besides the priest corn, was was fine and probably you know apt. Uh, but just looking at all these games, these weeks, it's just been really, really bad. And there's, they they they're going to take themselves seriously. You got to do something about it. Do you think we see next week Kiffin just
1: tells everyone not to catch the teammates when they're coming out of bounds? It's like, do not stop this guy by anything. Just let him go into the bench. Let him fall down. We're just going to see yeah. old Miss guys doing the OLA And instead of catching their teammates when they come off the sideline uh, into, or into so the sideline, rather, just letting him well. fall.
0: Yeah, you might as well just start flopping. I don't know what you should do about it. Because, I mean, it's just I how they did not call that right in front of our sideline when they were right there, too, is just kind of unthinkable.
1: Maybe they tell them to trip them. Maybe they get the sideline crew to start tripping Jackson Dart and Quinshawn Judkins when they come to the sideline. I'm willing to try anything here. But uh, just a weird, another weird part of the game, terribly officiated game. But Ole Miss, aside from a few weird penalties, actually played pretty clean. Getting back to defensively, because I don't think we've given them enough credit for not only keeping Ole Miss in the lead when they didn't really do a ton at all offensively in the third quarter, really didn't have the ball a lot. They get put in a tough spot after the turnover on downs where Dart is sacked in his own territory on fourth down. but Bad they, Yeah, I Remember. didn't understand that one. Kiffin kind of made a yeah. a, a little – I think he made a little bit of a smart-ass comment in the postgame where he's like, I know you guys talking to media probably won't like the turnover on downs or the decision to go for it on fourth down. I didn't really understand it at that point with the way the defense is playing. Um, But, you know, given aggressive coach, I guess at least he's consistent in that. It would be more frustrating if he was very conservative in some areas and very aggressive in others. If nothing else, I didn't like the call. I thought they should have punted it, too. But I guess if nothing else, he's consistent. But the defense got put in some tough spots and they forced two incredibly crucial turnovers, one early in the game where. You know, For the most part of the first half, Ole Miss didn't really sustain a drive at all. The only touchdown they had until that last one right before halftime or two drives before halftime was set up by the Asante Sistrunk uh, near pick six where all Ole Miss had to do was take all four downs to punch it in the end zone. The defense really played well. I thought they got in the back foot a lot. I thought they made K.J. Jefferson uncomfortable. Whatever the slow mesh thing that Arkansas was doing, and Cole Kublik was kind of explaining this a little bit, throughout the broadcast and I'd probably butcher his explanation but it seemed like Golding was giving the John Saunders or the Kyrie Coleman's the guys up by the line of scrimmage Tennyson a little bit when they like see the slow mesh just go dead red and get them and they really blew up some plays in the backfield and it 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 flashed some speed that maybe I had not given enough credit to for Ole Miss with the Saunders types the Tennyson types they have some guys that can really get in the backfield in a hurry. And they blew some Arkansas plays up in the backfield and stops and drops because of it.
0: So what it looks like what they were doing, and like I said, I'm not a total scheme guy, but they did it multiple times. So I kind of got a few good looks at it. When they're doing that slow mesh, basically they're reading that uh, kind of outside linebacker. So whether it's Perkins or whether it's Uku out there, you're reading him to where, you know, either you're giving the ball or Jefferson can, you know, RPO it or he can run with it. And Golding was basically like, we're just not even going to give you that option. So they're blitzing kind of like a cat blitz, not really to the corner, but kind of that nickel safety. And they were taking both guys. So that means that the the in man on the line, whether that's the outside linebacker or the defensive end, takes the running back. And the cat guy is there to take the quarterback and really try to pressure KJ into a quick throw, which he's just not been able to hit this year. And it was really a perfect kind of game plan wrinkle for this team, uh, which kind of brings back why the pre defense early on was so bizarre because, you know, they were getting pressure with four and they were really getting it with five. Um, it was a really good game plan defensively for this team to kind of just get KJ off kilter. Uh, he has not been as dynamic running the ball. The offensive line has not been very good for Arkansas this year. And then that play was just not working with Sanders not being fully healthy. I mean, would they have 33 rushing yards in this game? Yep. I mean, that's really, 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 really good by Golding in this defense. And uh, they played – I mean, they weren't perfect by any means, but if you are going to give them an offense on the other side that's not dynamic at the quarterback position, I really like this defense's chance of being really, really good. Uh, if you've got a really dynamic quarterback back there, it's a different story. Um, but fortunately for Ole Miss, I'm not sure they're going to see another one for the rest of the year, which is pretty crazy to say. Um, and I guess we'll talk about more down the line, what the season looks like now at the bye week, but uh pretty damn good effort by the defense.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, I think that I just double checked the numbers, 36 rushing yards. That's the lowest output from an Ole Miss defense since the 2014 defense, I think allowed zero against Tennessee. I guess it's hard to do a hell of a lot better than zero. I do remember the 08 Egg Bowl. I do remember that. Like negative 30, um, but pretty, pretty damn strong. A lot of tackles for losses. A lot of plays made in the backfield. Um, I thought Isaac Uku had a pretty damn solid game. He was around the quarterback a lot. He was very disruptive. Uh, it seemed like they played a lot of their bigger offensive line. I noticed, I, I haven't seen the snap counts yet I posted it at RivalsRubbleGrove.com, but like a lot of Josh Harris, a lot of Xavier Harris, it seemed like they went thicker in the middle a lot, and I think it really paid off for them. Uh, there but I thought the defensive line played very well and was very disruptive and really thwarted any sort of consistency Arkansas was trying to achieve offensively again like we talked about outside of those third and longs Arkansas didn't sustain a whole lot offensively except for that one drive after the turnover on downs where it felt like one short field but two the Ole Miss defense was just getting worn down a little bit
0: yeah I did notice the two Harrises playing a lot more uh my guess would be that, you know, KJ, his ability for the quarterback draw up the middle and kind of I guess they were more of an inside run team, just gaping up those holes and just being like, if you want to beat us with speed on the outside, we don't think you can do it. Uh, and that obviously worked um to a pretty damn good level with only 33 rushing yards. So another wrinkle that I give Golding a lot of credit for. Um, He's clearly been able to with this defense. Put them in the absolute best positions to be successful, depending on the opponent, which is not something we've been able to say with Ole Miss defenses in a while. Um, So, I mean, they've just been really, really good. They've been taking the ball away, which is just massive, especially in this game. Both interceptions were obviously very, very crucial uh, to the outcome, and that's just how you win. When you're not on an offense, you have to be able to take the ball away, win turnover battles for coin flip games. You'll come out on top, and they've done that against Tulane. They've done that. You know They really were pretty good against Alabama, all things considered, and then they were great in this game with that.
1: And you talk about you – know, we haven't talked as much about like portal guys and hitting and missing in the portal, I feel like as we've had in years past, at least so far to this point in the season – but you look at in the secondary, John Saunders has been awesome for Ole Miss. It seems like they played him a lot closer to the line of scrimmage in this game. He made some plays in the backfield, obviously had the pick to seal the game. He just seems very fast. He seems very physical. I'll throw Dejon Anthony in there. Zamari Walton has been pretty good at corner as well. You know, corner and the secondary as a whole – was something they felt like they were really shorthanded at. They needed to address via the portal. I think that's why they brought so many portal guys in. And you got to give the staff credit in that sense. They found three, four guys that have made real impacts out of the portal this year for Ole Miss. I mean Dejon Anthony, um, Saunders and Zamari Walton, I think have made this defense immensely better.
0: Absolutely. And it shows you, you know, the juxtaposition of that is LSU, where they've brought in a bunch of guys in the back end and they have been terrible. It can happen. And that's why, you know, it's basically your free agency. If you miss, you can just be absolutely screwed with what happens. Oh, miss is not missed. They have hit this year. Um, even at the linebacker spot, you know, Baptiste and Montgomery are far from perfect, and we've mentioned that multiple times, but they're more than serviceable for what they need to do. Um, with Uku. I mean, they just brought in a really good crop of transfer guys to um, To really help this defense get to where they are right now. You're absolutely right. They've been athletic. They've been multiple. They brought in a lot of guys that have played some corner and some safety, and they just put them in the right positions multiple times. Uh, and it's absolutely been crucial for where they are in this season so far. And it's going to be crucial going forward because they're not going to get out of the portal. Uh, I know they're trying their best to kind of decrease their usage. Uh, but when you have to go in there, you have to hit. Because if you don't, you'll end up, in a really really difficult position if you've seen other teams around the country be in. Ole Miss,
1: uh, Arkansas scores a the touchdown there toward the end of the third quarter. You're sitting there thinking, "Oh man, like where where is this going to go?" I was I'll start here. Did you think Old Miss was going to lose the game at that point? I would tell you with 9 or 8 minutes to go last week with Ole Miss down nine, I thought they were dead in the water. I did not feel the same way this week, not necessarily because of last week, but just because of the way the game had gone, I was like, surely they're not going to end the game without scoring a single point in the second half. How did you kind of feel after Arkansas took the 20 to 17 lead early in the fourth quarter?
0: Um, It was definitely sketchy. Uh, <laughs> all of that. Um, my blood temperature was pretty high, uh, but I didn't, I still didn't think they were going to lose the game. Uh, The defense have been playing well enough to where you kind of thought you were going to get at least two more possessions on offense, and I was pretty confident that they were at least going to get a field goal out of one of those two possessions. Um, So, no, I mean, I was pretty confident that they were going to be fine, Uh, but there's no guarantees. But like we said, in the fourth quarter, they've just been so damn good at just closing games out that it was hard to not give them the benefit of the doubt when they deserved it.
1: That last drive, you know, you have Harris go out. It looked like he was maybe in for a play on that series, and maybe that's where Kiffin. I don't have this exactly. I was trying to figure it out, trying to watch it on just the normal TV broadcast. But maybe he had gotten hurt the drive before because I think he maybe came out for the first or second play of this last drive, uh, this touchdown drive, not the last drive. And then I just noticed toward the end of the drive it was Aiden Williams out there, so maybe that was when he tried to go back in. But point being. You're without your best receiver. You've had decent success running the football, but I'd call it sporadic. And what does Ole Miss do? I think it was seven or eight runs and two passes. One of them was just a two-yard pass to start the drive to Judkins, but they go Judkins, Judkins, he breaks a long one. Judkins, Judkins, two really nifty runs by Bentley. One of them they kind of forgot to block the safety. They make it, he makes a miss, and then Bentley finishes it off with a touchdown. They kind of went back to their bread and butter and found production on the ground when they had to the most. I guess that would dovetail into a Ulysses-Bentley conversation. Holy hell, is he running at a
0: high level. He's been really, really good. And, you know, this year I've been uh, – thanks a lot, Kirk. Really good job not getting a Hail Mary off there. Um, back to oldness. Uh I've been pretty steadfast in my belief that Judkins has been fine and that it's been an offensive line issue, that he hasn't been as explosive, yada, yada, yada this was the first game where I've kind of felt like there was something wrong. And I don't know if it's an attitude thing. I don't like saying that because I have no idea, or if he really is a lot more banged up than we thought or whatever, but Ulysses, I mean, he has just been really, really good. Um, He's been explosive. He's brought some wiggle that I didn't know that he had. Uh, He can catch the ball in the backfield. He's just looks like the better back right now. Um, And that doesn't mean it's going to stay that way, Uh, but it's just you can't ignore what he's been doing for this team, especially in this game where they were kind of struggling to run the ball, but he was just been so explosive. He was able to get them in situations to win the football game. He was really, really, really good. And I don't know what's going to happen carries wise. Is there a situation where we're willing to, you know, not start Judkins? Uh, You know, there's NIL implications here, obviously, uh, it's it's a weird conversation, but it's not a bad position to be in. You have two very capable backs and one guy's playing better than you thought he would be. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just probably the first time where I've been willing to admit that something might be up with Judkins. And I don't, so I think it's an attitude thing or some sort of buy-in. I don't believe that. I know there's some people talking about Kiffin's post-game comments. I, I, it's hard to read into all of that without specifics, Uh, But billy has been really good. That's, in my opinion, the most important takeaway.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if it's like reading too much into the Kiffin comments. I just kind of took it at face value. Like, hey, we're going to ride the hot hand. Like we don't care who who it's in deference of or who it is. Or like Kiffin said, what you've done in the past. Like if you're running well and you're playing well and you're making plays, we're going to ride you. I, I didn't really read a ton more into it than that. And, you know, you get down. So Ole Miss scores. They're up 24-20. They get a stop. I think it was Uku and someone else on a sack on third down. And at that point, I was like, okay, I think they kind of have this in hand. And then you get to a third and 15 where it's like, oh, they're about to give it right back to Arkansas with, you know, four minutes or three minutes and change left at 24-20. This could get real weird again. Offsides penalty, and then you hit Jordan Watkins, who else, on third down for 17 yards, and then Bentley, with one of the most impressive runs of the night and maybe the season, hits the 32-yarder that gets you clearly into Arkansas, deep into Arkansas territory, into field goal territory, where you feel very great about the fact, hey, at absolute worst, Arkansas is going to have the ball down seven with very little time left. Ole Miss not able to stick it in the end zone. It is what it is. But uh, two huge plays by both Bentley, Dart, and Watkins to push that into field goal range. Because if they punt there, Arkansas has got it back. Decent field position with a lot more time left, one, and only down four. And uh, that would feel like – that would have felt like a hold-on-to-your-butt situation, much like last week after Trey Harris scores with time left.
0: No, definitely. I I think if you have, like, the biggest – concern, complain about this game. It's Ole Miss's inability to score there with basically four plays from, what, the two-yard line uh, to really ice the game. Uh, and they weren't able to get it in. They really weren't even that close to getting it in. Uh, that was a really, really big stand by Arkansas and a pretty poor effort there by Ole Miss. To not, I mean, the game's over. If you score a touchdown right there, uh, look, again, the defense comes to the rescue and saves them. Um, and at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. But that was probably one of the drives where I was like, damn, like that's you got to be able to make a play there somehow. You gotta call something different. I mean, it's just you got four downs to score a touchdown, you gotta make it happen. I mean, they even went backwards, which is why they ended up having to kick the field goal because I thought you know there was a situation where he was potentially going for it, you could kind of see it coming. Um, you could feel the end.
1: temptation, you thought, Oh god, he's, he's <laughs> I mean, I was this. telling
0: people in the room I was watching with, I was like you're about to see the sketchiest fourth down (laughs) you'll ever see in your life coming up here. Like just be prepared for it. And then at the end of the day, I think he absolutely made the right call, kick the field goal. Your defense is playing great and then move on from there.
1: We will finish up with Weldon in just a second, but before we do, I want to take a one more quick break to remind you. This podcast is also brought to you by our partner at AG one, the daily founded nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I drink AG one every day. I gave it a try because I'm not always giving my body what it needs I take it every morning. It helps get me the nutrients I need. helps me feel a lot better. It is a great kickstart to the day. You should try it too. With every daily serving, you're setting yourself up for success with 75 high quality ingredients that give you the daily nutrients and supporting energy focus strength, and clarity. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to ag1.com mpw. That's ag1.com mpw to check it out. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Marie Claire Boudreau's doctorate level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training. is is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi with MC speech therapy. You and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships for service today. Call 903-824-8575 or email her at Mary Claire at MC speech therapy.net. That is M A R Y C L A I R E at MC speech therapy.net. All right, back to Walden. And the defense doesn't even really make it dramatic. They pressure Jefferson a couple of times. Saunders seals it with the pick Ole Miss gets the one more uh, first down to ice the game and it's survival and I just to put an all-encompassing thought on where Ole Miss sits I know we talked about it at the top five and one um, you know even without I would have said this without the injury to dart and whatever the injury to Harris was but it still feels like Ole Miss sitting at five and one with a bye week to rest up before you attack the last six games of the season. Two of them, I think, are not going – or three of them are going to be, you know, moderately tough and a couple really, really tough ones in there. I would say there's three and three in that category. But this is a pretty good spot to be in. Ole Miss, because of the preseason injuries they had on the offensive side of the football, they're not trying to get overly healthy and try to get as many guys back as possible. It feels like they're as healthy as any team could be through six games – week off and gearing up i guess just to surmise all that to say it's it's a pretty damn good place to be
0: i mean it's pretty damn hard to complain uh your only loss is on the road in an alabama team that's getting better and better and better and despite the way you played in that game which kind of leaves a pretty sour taste in your mouth it's it's tough to win in tuscaloosa that's kind of the end of the story um They've got a really important game in two weeks. I mean, really, even more so than just the Lane Kiffin to Auburn, Hugh Freeze playing old Miss again. Like, there's obviously those outside-of-the-game stories. But this is another test of having to go into a definitely hostile environment to play a very up – not up-tempo game, but just a very hyped-up game uh, against a team and a coach that's going to pull out every bullet that they have to beat you in any way possible. Uh, they have a really good defense, and you're going to have to figure out a way to move the ball through the air and on the ground against this team. But they have a really, really bad offense. So you're going to have to play sound football and not beat yourself because, honestly, that's what Georgia did in the first half is they just like completely missed assignments and gave them opportunities to score. If you don't do that, you should be fine. Um, it'll be very interesting to see if Kiffin is able to just – coach this game and play this game like he has against Arkansas and LSU and not start getting into the Twitter wars with Hugh Freeze and Auburn and all the whole shebang that's going to be talked about a week before that game happens. Uh, That will show some growth if he's able to withstand (laughs) getting online before this game, because it's far from a guarantee. I mean, I talk about it a lot and it's been something talked about just with Ole Miss people. Don't win at Auburn very often. Uh, they don't win at home against Auburn very often, uh, but you are the better team. And at the end of the day, you should beat them. No excuses, no nothing. There's there's really nothing to say about it except for you're better on kind of – I mean, not necessarily both sides of the ball. Auburn's defense is pretty damn good, but you you are a better football team than them. Um, You need to get healthy. They'll have a great game plan for this because having two weeks to prepare, you have to go on the road. It, it's just, it's it's a lot because if you're able to get through that game, you're going to beat Vanderbilt with ease. And then you've got the real stretch. You've got A&M at home and you got Georgia on the road. And at the end of the day, whether you're talking about it's still attempting to win the West, which is kind of out of your control or putting some pressure, whether you can potentially go 11 and one. I mean, a lot of it is way in the future, but we, you can talk about it because the position they're in, uh, you have to get past Auburn and I'm not giving that as some layup, despite what I feel like is Ole Miss having a much better team than them.
1: I've done several of these former player interviews for the Oxford Ortho Letterman's Lounge. Um, I think most people out there listening have at least seen some of them. It's been a surprising. I like to ask them, "Where's the loudest place they played?" And you'd say, "There's been a surprising number that have said Jordan here in Auburn." And I usually follow up with a story from 2019 where Ole Miss is down there. Uh, Very weird game. The defense played awesome. The offense under Rich Rod didn't do a whole lot, as shocking as that might sound. But basically, Ole Miss has a drive. I think they had Plumlee out there and they could either go down and tie it or maybe take the lead. I don't think anyone in the stadium thought Ole Miss was actually going to do it, but the situation was there. Ole Miss had the ball with a chance to extend the game and potentially win the game. And I remember being on that field and I thought, man, we talk about Alabama, we talk about Death Valley, Uh, Jordan Hill really, really loud. And I think it will probably be a night game, that kind of 6, 630 window. Like you mentioned, you know, we both uh, forecast that it'll be 11 a.m. as soon as they announce it tomorrow. But I do think it'll be a night game, but that's going to be a tough environment. And I think what Ole Miss will need to overcome in that game is a lot of the Environment, extracurricular, maturity stuff more so than it is actually trying to figure out a way to beat a football team that's on equal footing as you. And that's what's going to be very fascinating um as we continue forward in, in anticipation of this game. Can they overcome all that extra stuff? Because all things equal, if they're playing, you know, shout out to COVID with no fans in the stands, I would think I would take home miss by a touchdown or so, but not really the case. So
0: it's let's, going to be let's fascinating. Talk about exercise. I'm looking at the uh, SEC slate that week. Okay. You've got. Alabama and Tennessee—that's almost guaranteed to CBS. be the two thirty. You've got Ole Miss and Auburn. LSU plays Army. Oddly enough, that feels like a seven o'clock LSU game. That might be the game they put on like ESPN or SEC Plus for them. Honestly, I think everyone has to have one per year. That might actually be LSU's. Uh, then you've got Mississippi State and Arkansas and South Carolina and Missouri. I, Mississippi State Arkansas screams two thirty. SEC Network game and then the Missouri South Carolina, I, I just I would be shocked if it's not either that six or seven o'clock ESPN game or even that six thirty SEC Network game. I I think you're gonna have a night game there. Just yeah. going through.
1: <laughs> kind of la- last thought on Ole Miss? You mentioned earlier, kind of talking and projecting this out. Chase asked me about this last night on the post game show. With the way this has happened, where we talked about when we went through the schedule at the beginning of the year, it's like, can they split Alabama-LSU and then just see what happens in Athens? Well, now that they've done that and they've survived the Arkansas game, 9-3 is kind of the floor now, isn't it? I think A&M's good. I think Georgia is very, very good. I think Mississippi State's very bad. I think Vandy's very bad. I don't know what to make of Auburn and, you know. Sorry to Neil, but ULM sucks. So you know, nine and three feels like the floor and anything else at this point would be a disappointment. And I don't mean to say that in a pointed light to like, okay, they better produce that by any stretch. It's just crazy how different the outlook is now with where they sit. But I mean, do you kind of view it the same way? It's, it's nine and three or better, or it's going to be feeling like a gigantic missed opportunity come November.
0: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And even nine and three would probably feel Like a
1: mild disappointment, but no one's kicking and screaming.
0: It's not even fair to say that, and it's not even realistic to say that, but that means like 9-3, and odds are you would have lost to either Auburn, A&M, or State. And I can guarantee you that if they end up losing to one of those teams, it's going to be a very frustrating one. Yep. Uh, You can just pick your poison, which whether one you feel like a hypothetical being. Um, But, yeah, I mean, 9-3 and has to be the floor. Uh, That's kind of where you're at. That's where you should be to be honest, and we kind of talked about the season, you should be getting results like that, especially in an SEC, the way it's been this year, where you're pretty much the third best team in the league right now. Um, You may not be as talented as A&M, but at home against Jimbo, and who knows what that team's going to be like. They've still got to go through Tennessee on the road before they get to Ole Miss. I mean, they could be, they lose that game. They could be battered and bruised without their starting quarterback, and it'll feel like a game that Ole Miss should win. Um, and then obviously we talk about Auburn and then Mississippi State. If you lose that game, then we've got real things to talk about. Uh, and you that would be expect- an interesting Friday pod, uh, or whenever yeah. it comes after Thanksgiving, that would
1: be a fascinating one.
0: It would be something, but at the end of the day, you're setting yourself up for the opportunity to have a free shot at Georgia, get through Auburn, you beat Vanderbilt, and then you find a way to beat A&M, depending on whatever their situation is, whatever your situation is. And then go into Athens with a free shot. You will have the least, maybe the least pressure in a big time game that Lane Kiffin has ever had as a coach. There will be nobody expecting you to win, and I think that puts them in a really advantageous position. I, know, I sure as hell am not predicting them to win that game, but really, nine and three, ten and two, eleven and one, eight and four. For me, it's all about setting yourself up to play Georgia with something on the line and putting yourself in position to just have a free shot at that game. So whatever else is whatever else, that's kind of what I'm looking for right now. You mentioned it being a long way away and kind of ridiculous to talk about, but hey, we got
1: a bye week and nothing in between to kind of actually like discuss things like like further down the road. Chase brought up last night where I was talking about, well, Alabama wins. It looks like they're in full control of the West. And Chase is basically like, hey, look, if you're going to have this argument about like where Ole Miss finished out, if you really want to talk college football playoff, which again, very premature, but just humor me for a second. His theory was, Do you really need the West? Is an eleven and one Ole Miss getting left out? Whereas, if you won the West, you'd have to beat Georgia twice to get into the playoff, presumably. Versus just try to finish this thing at eleven and one and feel pretty good about getting in as the fourth team.
0: I think that'd be pretty difficult, personally, to get Um, in at eleven and one without winning the West. Just the way college football is this year, if the Pac-12 is unable to like kind of cannibalize themselves, yeah. If you've got a situation where Oklahoma or Texas, you know, one of those is a one-loss conference champion, If you just have to have a lot of help, Um, whether it's, you know, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, whether it's Florida State getting through that. Um, I mean, Notre Dame's done after Louisville. You would have to have a lot of chips fall in place to where you could get two SEC teams in. And this year, just the way the landscape is, and it will obviously change, and this is kind of a silly, but, you know, a conversation worth having at this point, you'd have to have a lot of chips fall in your favor. And, you know, you would have a pretty damn good resume. Your only loss being to a – I guess you would assume that Alabama would go through and win, uh, which means that they would beat George in the SEC Championship game, and then that would be George's second loss, assuming that you beat them. Uh, it, so that I means you have to have Alabama and Old Miss in it, would be tough. I would, it'd be a pretty difficult. The SEC is not exactly a gauntlet this year, but your resume would be pretty damn impressive. Um, but I still, at the end of the day, you have to have a lot of chips fall around the country to give yourself that opportunity.
1: Yeah, it's just an interesting, like bigger picture down the road theory. I'm sure I promise you I'll get two emails. Like, why are y'all talking about that? They got five more games to that. I was like, Well, because we have nothing else to talk about heading yeah, into Yeah, I mean,
0: what else? So. Yeah, we got two weeks. Uh <laughs> you know, it's a worthwhile conversation and like without having like the full slate in front of me of what other teams are doing. I mean, within Washington and Oregon and USC, I mean, you're gonna have to have only one of those teams be even considerable. Uh, which at this point would seem pretty far-fetched. You're going to have to have all three of those monsters in the Big Ten, like only have one of those teams be considerable, and then maybe you have to have Florida State lose two games or something. Like if you really like talk it out, the scenario is pretty bleak. Um, But who cares? It's it's having the conversation that's more interesting than worrying about what will happen. They've got plenty to take care of um, before then. And last thing on this, before we take a look around the sec
1: to Lane Kiffin's credit for the third year in a row. And I'm not even discounting the COVID year. I just don't remember a ton about it. It was so weird. Like, what did we actually talk about? We weren't even doing this podcast yet, but for the last three years, I guess the Rippy writes a history of this podcast, Ole Miss has been relevant and they've been interesting at the halfway point of the season. And they've had real goals to play for in the second half of the season. And there was a long time where that was not the case. And, I thought about this as I'm sitting there, watched Mississippi State struggle to get past Western Michigan on Saturday, and I thought, I don't know, my colleague Brian Haydad or some of the other guys that covered that team is just like, man, what do you talk about for the next six weeks? What do you actually discuss with this? It wouldn't be nearly as fun. And for Kiffin, you know, he talked about you know nine million salary as he earned it, as you know the whole Auburn thing last year. Ole Miss is relevant, and that's part of his job is to keep Ole Miss relevant and their aspirations and preseason championship talk intact for as long as possible and for the third straight year at the halfway point they are certainly relevant again and you got to give them credit for that because that's not always the case
0: here oh you have to absolutely give them credit um this game is won in the slimmest of margins week by week and we'd be having a completely different conversation if the LSU outcome had been different or this outcome had been different or if Tulane I mean it, it's all hypotheticals of course but they've just been getting the job done And week by week by week, that's what you have to do in this league and in this sport. And for the large majority of Kiffin's tenure, he has beaten the teams he's supposed to beaten, which then gives you the opportunity to be relevant in the big games. And that's that's kind of what I've been talking about, like setting up this potential game with Georgia. If you beat the teams you're supposed to beat, which in my opinion, Auburn and Vanderbilt are absolutely those, you're giving yourself that opportunity, whether it comes out or not. To have that free shot, to have that potential to still be relevant, to still be talked about on a national level, to give yourself momentum and recruiting and portal and NIL and everything. You just have to keep rattling off wins because the opposite is having happening with the team you just beat. They're rattling off losses in pretty heart-wrenching fashion. And when that starts happening, this shit turns so quick. And you've seen a team that loved their coach, that embodied their state, their program, I mean, they're probably ready to fire him now. So it's just about notching wins week by week, day by day. Uh, kind of, you know, the pro mindset they talk about, it's it's a little ridiculous to me sometimes considering, but it's it's coming out aces so far this year, at least with the exception of one week. And he deserves a ton of credit for that.
1: We're going to have to make a pit stop real quick before we take a look around the SEC. And we're going to have to it go down to, to South corner? Florida because why buried the lead? You texted me this last night. I'm getting home from the game. I saw your text. I didn't have time to look at anything. I hop on the post game show with Chase, and then I finally sit down and I get on like Twitter or wherever it was. I found it, and I watched it like five times, and I I couldn't make sense. I couldn't. I I was just sitting there like, wait, what? What do you mean? I don't understand. Why? Why did this happen? Cristobal gave a really. No, honestly, just a non-answer in his press conference. And then I saw something from everyone's favorite Gannett column, this Dan Wolken today. Apparently, this has been a thing all year. Cristobal doesn't take knees. Have you seen this? He apparently has tried to just run plays to the end of the game.
0: Done it. Has not done it once this year. He has what? not taken a knee. He's what does, does
1: that mean? What, what is that like a coach saying, I don't punt or kick field goals? I know that guy in high school football in Arkansas tried it and did okay. But what, what is, I, if someone says, I don't take knees, I don't know what that means. I, I don't see that as a serious statement. Like Why? You're getting people it's hurt. Un- You're decent your chances
0: of winning. Why? <laughs> it is unexplainable to me. And my favorite part about this, one, because it verifies my belief that crystal ball is an absolute joke as a head coach, uh, a game day head coach. Um, and the funniest thing I saw earlier, and we'll get back to it, is they got like a top hundred commit today. And Tom Fernelli tweeted like, Mario Cristobal choking a game away by coaching mismanagement and then receiving a commitment from a top 100 player is the most Mario Cristobal experience you'll ever see. That is Because he's great at everything else. He's great at program managing. He's great at recruiting. He's a terrible head coach. Game day head coach, game management, he is awful. Oh, and by the way, this is not the first time he's done this. At Oregon against Stanford, the exact Same thing happened. They ran the ball and they had an opportunity to kneel it out. And in the game, the Oregon guy fumbles the ball and Stanford wins in overtime 38-31. Twice has he taken victory (laughs) or taken defeat out of the jaws of victory for his team. It is a fireball offense. I'm being serious.
1: No, I. I, it is. I don't get that. Like when you say – I don't know when you say, you know, I don't take knees. Well, that'd be like someone looking at me and saying, I don't pay taxes. It's like, well, let's unpack that for a second. What, how does that actually work? Like it does it like you can't do it. I just, it, it, I, I'm not asking you to litigate uh, Cristobal's defense here. It's more so just like a reflection of my disbelief. I just, I don't understand it. And then what the hell on the last play, the knee part of it aside, why oh, is yeah. that not a prevent thing? That's the last play of the football game. Why is someone beating them deep where Kane's King who credit to him, made a hell of a throw to hit the guy. Right, why is that happening too?
0: no it's it's all of the above it, he just doesn't get it he has no idea what he's doing it is so embarrassing for them for that universe i mean they were going to be 5 and 0 with a real chance to set up a game against florida state to potentially win this conference and i just don't even know how you come back from this uh i there's there's honestly no coming back in my opinion your locker room is just not going to trust you as a head coach anymore. You saw on the sideline, there was that video of the offensive lineman, like basically crying his eyes out. as like, what the fuck are we doing?
1: <laughs> yeah. Great leap, lip reading moment.
0: Great lip reading moment. Great camera by whoever got that at the ACC network. My biggest question, and maybe this just gets you fired or, you know, gets your job taken away or an ass chewing. But if I'm the quarterback, do you just go rogue and be like, yeah, just go back no. around. Just go, no, we're not doing this. We're just not going to do this. I'm just going to take the ball and just fall down. I mean, I would have considered it. I mean, it's it's really not his fault because the coaches are, are involved in the game time situation deal, and they should be calling for a knee. Uh, so, like, as a quarterback, you're just assuming that there's a reason why you're not kneeling the ball, uh, but there wasn't, and they lost the game for it. I don't care that he may have been down the fumble, which he probably was, which makes it honestly even worse. Uh, this is completely on the coach. His explanation was just we should have taken a knee, yada, yada, yada. Just absolutely pathetic. And I'm so happy we get to have this crystal ball corner before doing around the SEC because he is the worst.
1: It's, it's like when we talk, I mean, there have been a few times when we've done this pod through the years where someone screwed up time management and didn't take a time out at the right time or they didn't get a field goal set up. And we talk about like them, you know, maybe a coach needs a clock guy to handle clock management because they have so much other stuff going on. You can't even justify that with any of this there. He just decided not to do something, one of the most basic plays in football to help your team win a game. And instead, it finally bit them and they lost it. I was just beside myself trying to make sense of that. Um, and, you know, very, very rarely on rea- uh, you get social media reaction where it's less strong opinions and more so I cannot believe what I just watched. And that was the general reaction to this, where people were just in general across the sports, you know, online ecosystem, just like, I don't understand. How is this real? And it was, it was a glorious validation of your uh, anti Cristobal position. And I I don't know how you go pro Cristobal after that. It's, it's truly remarkable.
0: It's, It's too far gone. I think it's just a matter of time because it will happen again. I mean, history repeats itself. He will do this again and cost his team again.
1: The quarterback better go rogue the next time. He better just run backwards. and I would like to see him belly flop just to make a point of it. Just go rogue and don't take a knee. Just jump straight up in the air and body slam yourself on the ground just to hammer the point home.
0: I mean, why not at this point? I I don't know. I mean, I don't know who they play next week, but, I mean, them being able to come up, you know, and playing, I I just don't see how they come back from it just emotionally I just don't see it
1: look around the SEC the 230 game I caught a little bit but most of the first half of this then I kind of do the Grove thing and try to catch some of the end A&M Alabama it went for you know two and a half quarters kind of what I thought was going to happen I actually thought A&M was pretty good and had a chance to win this game they're up 17 to 10 at halftime Alabama really lays the hammer down defensively and puts together two solid drives in the uh third quarter there And then you get the classic fourth quarter, two to three, or three to two was the scoring in the fourth quarter. And Alabama's defense really just kind of came through. Seems like Milrose coming into his own a little bit. And this is, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the year, this is going to be the Alabama kind of grounded pound and just find a way to win games with the game manager. That felt more like this. I know they didn't have any success or sustained success rushing the football, hardly at all. Neither team in this game did. But it just felt like a very good Alabama defense defense that just kind of put them in survival mode offensively.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the 80,000 foot view of this game. Uh, Jimbo just pretty much got out coached and out managed, out schemed, uh, out thought. He overthought everything. He was quite honestly a P word with the way he called his offense in this game. Uh, they had this game. Alabama they had-, had 23 rushing yards on 26 attempts. They had every opportunity to win this game. They basically decided they were going to let Milrow try to beat them um through the air. And in some ways he did, but and honestly, like they had him corralled with the exception of him throwing the ball to Burton 90 times in a row. Uh, but it was 17 to 10. Milrow throws an interception. AM then goes on to have two plays before they just give the ball right back to Alabama. Uh it's just everything they could have done wrong they did wrong. Everything Alabama did to give them an opportunity to take the game by the balls, they just didn't do it. And that's kind of like the the summation of the Jimbo era at Texas A&M. It was just really unimpressive. I mean, they obviously have a lot of talent on that team, but they just can never get it done when they need to. Uh, They don't ever win big games at home. I've said that before. Uh, It just seems to be a complete non-factor. Max Johnson holds the ball way, way, way too long. Uh, but they, they they threw the ball too much. I mean, they they didn't even attempt to try to run the ball like efficiently against Alabama. They turned the ball over. They had bad special teams. They had bad coach management. They had bad play, play clock management. Uh, it, it was just really really poorly coached by Jimbo. And an incredibly winnable game for them. And you know, Nick just basically shot in your favorite turn shoved him in the locker in the most important game of his A and M career. Uh, so that was basically that. It was a pretty pathetic showing.
1: To your point, Alabama has two turnovers in this game, and A&M responds once by giving it back two plays later on interception, and then Alabama had a fumble in its own territory, and A&M missed a field goal after not getting a first down. It's like, man, if you're going to do that, like, if Alabama's going to give you the football twice, you, you better take advantage of it, and they just didn't. To your point, they didn't really try to run the ball with any consistent effort, and I, again, they lost a game at home where Alabama had 0. .9 yards per rushing attempt. It's so. insane.
0: I mean, it, there was like really no reason for them. I'd like to see the uh, win probability chart that they put out after on Mondays. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. Yeah. like that I'm very interested in this one because a and m, I mean, had to have been at least even to win that game or if not maybe a percentage or two higher than Alabama. The Mississippi State Western Michigan game, I put this one up next to
1: the Red River game and then a little bit of LSU Missouri. I I, look, I don't have a ton to say on this. I'm just going to kind of harp on what a struggle it's going to be for Mississippi state. Uh, Western Michigan changed quarterbacks after like two drives and a kid that pretty much had no successful history in college football at all. Uh, shout out to a kid named Hayden Wolf. He goes 27 to 35 for 262 with three touchdowns and an interception. Um, Iowa beat Western Michigan 41 to 10 Syracuse beat them 48 to seven and Mississippi state eked one out 48 21. And I believe it was a 10 point game entering the fourth quarter. Um, I think rule Rogers is hurt. I think he left the game with a shoulder injury. This is tough sledding and startful. I don't know really what to say about this game, but if Rogers is hurt and all you really got's Mike Wright and whoever else, good luck, man, this is going to get rough for them.
0: Yeah, I think it's actually only Mike Wright because they're the Parsons has a hand injury, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he had like surgery on it. So I actually don't think he's even available. And he was like their shining hope over there, even though I've watched that kid in high school. He is the definition of fine. That doesn't mean he won't be a great quarterback for them, but he's far from a guaranteed five star, you know, guy of the future for them. Uh, Their defense isn't good. Like that's actually their biggest issue. I mean, offensively, obviously they've had issues. Rogers has not been good in the system. But credit to Barbe, they've tried to do different things to uh alleviate some of the transition from air air raid to whatever the hell they're doing now. But the issue really is their defense. They uh they have no speed in the back end, their defensive line is a bunch of okay players, and then their best player is a linebacker, but He's like your old school, the Jet Johnson kid. I remember him from Tupelo. He's like your old school Mike linebacker where unless you're running straight at him, like he's going to be pretty much ineffective. Uh, They're just not very good and they don't do anything well. They don't do anything great for sure. Uh, And they've got a pretty damn difficult schedule going down the end. It's not looking like a great debut season for, uh, I mean, I can't even remember his damn name, Um, whatever his name, Arnett. Yeah, uh, he just he seems like a defensive coordinator that's that's playing in the role of a head coach right now. Uh, they have no identity and they're trying to figure out different ways to do that. Uh, Western Michigan, I thought it was was it 48, 21 or 31? It was uh
1: no excuse me. It's 41, 28. I may have said that back. Oh, 41, 28. OK, yeah. 13 I point was,
0: game. Yeah, no, I mean, Michigan, I mean, Western Michigan is not a good football team and they were kind of moving it at will. Uh, against a state team that's like supposed to be this defensive oriented team with a defensive head coach, they they have got a lot of issues, and now there's going to be basically a borderline wildcat offense because it looks like Rodgers might be out for a while with the way you kind of came off the field, and that's uh, no bueno for them. Yes, it is.
1: LSU survives in uh, in Columbia. This felt like a huge game the wits era. They had LSU on the ropes. The LSU defense continued to look pretty porous, although as we've talked about before, Brady Cook and a couple of those wide receivers Missouri has is a pretty damn good offense. Matching them for score for score, and then Missouri just kind of petered out, made some mistakes in the second half, and LSU was really just able to survive, but still with about nine minutes to go in this game, I thought uh, Missouri was going to win it. I thought LSU was kind of dead in the water, and they just couldn't finish the job.
0: I don't think anything has changed with LSU. Uh, they brought in Pete Jenkins, who's like an 82-year-old defensive line guru. He is His accolades are well-known, and they're well-deserved. He's a legend. But their defense still sucks. Um, the only difference between the Ole Miss game and the Missouri game was that Missouri gave them the ball three times. That, I mean, that's literally the difference in the game, is that Missouri just handed them the ball three times. Uh, LSU offensively is still elite uh that's not changed they went for 49 of course one was a pick six at the end but they weren't exactly stifled uh basically from the second half of the second quarter through the end of the game they were just scoring at will which is something they've done this year despite you know just being completely inept uh defensively this is a pretty tough loss for missouri to have uh i mean they're at home lsu reeling coming on back-to-back road games Situationally, I mean, it's a perfect spot for Missouri. And they go up 22 to seven and look like they're rolling and rolling and rolling. And then they just turn the ball over. And LSU is a team that if you give them an inch with how shitty they've been, they will take four miles. And that's exactly what they did slowly but surely throughout this game. Uh, and then they end up winning. So, I mean, it's a credit to them for bouncing back off of a pretty tough performance. But I don't think of LSU any differently. Uh, they are the exact same team. They're gonna score a shit ton of points and they're gonna give up a shit ton of points. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who they have left on their schedule that's actually going to scare them offensively. Uh, because I think they've got like, you know, Auburn and Florida up next and Army. Like it's not gonna be until Alabama, and that's not exactly an offensive juggernaut, uh, that they're gonna be able to outscore. So, I mean, it's looking up for them, but defensively, they're still terrible.
1: Um, Florida takes care of business of Vandy. It's going to be a tough sledding for the doors.
0: I didn't watch a second of that.
1: Then the most Um, Kentucky game of all time, they're going ranked. They're like two, you know, two-ish scores, two low three-score underdogs against Georgia, and then Georgia just dismantles them. I thought the Georgia offense looked a hell of a lot better. Not really impressed with this Kentucky offense for the millionth year in a row. Didn't really love how Devin Leary looked in this game. But uh, if nothing else, the one takeaway I would have from this game is that Georgia kind of looked more like Georgia than at any point they have this year, and it looks like Carson Beck and that Mike Bobo offense is at least finding something, but also just I'm not sure if Kentucky's any good.
0: No, I watched this whole game. Uh, I was with some Georgia, My my one of my best friends went to Georgia with his wife, so we were watching Ole Miss and Georgia play, and. They were talking – I mean, they've he follows it as closely as anybody, and he was like, look, we've just been waiting for Carson to have the opportunity to kind of, like, take control of this offense. Like, everyone was pretty confident in him. Uh, they were – he was, like, not really nervous about this game. He's like, this is, is, like, the perfect game for us to, like, show what we can do at home against a team that firepower-wise is just not going to be able to match up. Uh, and Kentucky played terrible. I think they – this might have been Stoops', like, worst coach game. They were undisciplined on defense. They were getting personal fouls all over the place. They were they couldn't block Georgia. Leary has just been terrible for them despite everything else they do well. He has just not been very good at all. Uh, Georgia found rhythm on offense. They've force-fed Bowers the ball as much as they can, and somehow that kid is open at all times. It's unbelievable how talented he is. Um, but look, they looked really good. They got McConkie back, which is another guy that, you know, you don't think about a lot, but is really knows that system. And Carson Beck, you know, he's not an all-star by any means, but he's more than capable of, of being a really good quarterback for them. He kind of takes what's given. He's pretty accurate with the ball. Uh, doesn't have a cannon for an arm, but just kind of does exactly what they need to do. in kind of a Brock Purdy role, basically. Uh, for them, which is really a compliment because he does more than the mean, but maybe isn't going to be like a first round NFL draft pick. Uh, they're they're really good. And that's not to be shocking, but this was like a perfect matchup for them.
1: It is now time for the fastest growing segment on American Soil. It is soccer corner. And as I look at the uh, EPL table or standings or whatever they call it across the pond over here, I'm about to start falling into the trap again. You look at Tottenham and Arsenal at the top of the Premier League. You have Manchester City. Who's lost back to back EPL games? Didn't they lost something called the Carabao Cup to Newcastle? Don't really know what that is, but how pissed would you yeah. be if Newcastle you beat uh, Manchester City, but it doesn't count as an English Premier League game? I would be furious if I were the Saudis. I'd probably actually threaten to do whatever it is they do to make that count as an EPL game.
0: Well, it's it's not a nothing game. It's it's one of the the year long uh, tournaments they have throughout the season. They got City in, so that's it's still a pretty big win. But of course, I'm sure they'd rather it be in the league. Uh, Arsenal won today. They won 1-0 in a wild game uh, that's not going to help the officiating issues you've had in the Premier League this year. Uh, one of U- City's uh, defenders, or he's a midfielder, uh, Kovacic, comes in with a ridiculous slide tackle studs up, and they only gave him a yellow. And then literally, I mean, it couldn't have been 10 minutes later, he does it almost again and then doesn't get a yellow for his second red to get him out of the game. Eventually karma kind of caught up with them and they ended up losing one zero. I didn't exactly see how it happened. I was driving back here to Baton Rouge, Uh, but that's two games in a row for city Uh, Holland hasn't scored in like four or five straight games. Um, I'm not calling this team dead by any means. I mean, they're undefeated in the champions league, but losing two straight for them. I can't, I mean, I'd have to go look up and see the last time it happened. It may be more recent than I can realize, uh, but for a team as talented as they are, like that happening twice in a row with Arsenal not having their best player uh, play in that game is actually a pretty shocking result. And they've kind of owned Arsenal as of late, especially last year when it mattered most.
1: It's been a tough week for the uh, those rooting for us to Chelsea to get in the relegation zone. They're back up to 11th, I'm assuming, off the top of my head. This means they won back-to-back matches and look pretty good. That is absolutely the case. They won 4-1 and 2-0 against Fulham and Burnley, respectively. You know, yeah, I guess preying on the bottom of the league, but uh, you know they're uh, they're they're firmly out of the relegation zone now. After the last couple of weeks, we've been wondering what might be possible there.
0: Yeah, we said after this week, or I said this would be the week to see if they couldn't get results in either of these games that we'd had that conversation. Uh, credit to them, they did. They've started to score goals, which has been their biggest issue this season. Uh, they actually went down one zero to Burnley, and I was like, all right, you know, here hit- we go. Oh, here we go. We're going to see something. Might get something interesting out of this, uh, and they end up, you know, rattling off four straight. So they probably are not going to be competing for much this year. But you know, it, eventually you have to kind of get off the snide, and they did against two pretty bad teams, for at least to be. Mentioned. Can Arsenal or Tottenham actually
1: compete with uh, City to win this thing?
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, I think they can compete is that throughout the season, are they going to be able to withstand everything that you have to have that the depth wise and, you know, playing the multiple competitions is Arsenal's first year in the champions league in a long time. They actually lost uh, on Wednesday at in France, uh, which is pretty tough to a team. that's not very good. Um, It's going to be pretty difficult to gather it for the next, whatever, six months to overcome the deficiencies they'll have compared to city. But look, you can't get there if you're not there early. And they're both, I mean, undefeated, basically, or not basically, they are undefeated. uh, And they've looked really, really good doing so, which is crazy considering that Tottenham lost their icon franchise, best player to ever play for their club in Kane. And to have the beginning to this year that they've had is pretty remarkable.
1: We had a wild game between our two clubs. I hate I missed it, and also didn't know it was going on until too late. But uh, Brentford's up one nothing. It looks like they have uh, they have the victory sealed, and Manchester United scores twice and added time to uh, just absolutely crush the hearts of the Bees face faithful across the globe. Was this any sort of significance for Man United, or was this avoiding disaster?
0: I would say a lot more avoiding disaster than significance. They played Tuesday in the Champions League at home against Galatasaray from Turkey and gave up three goals, losing 3-2 to a team they should not be losing to at home. They are now 0-2 in their Champions League group stage matches, not to mention they've lost their last two uh, Premier League games. They go down 1-0 relatively early, and then at least a slight credit to them were just on the attack for basically the next 55 minutes. Uh, and then they couldn't get a goal in. They got goals off sides, and they just kept pressuring and pressuring and pressuring, and eventually McTominay, of all people, uh, is kind of our defensive midfielder, gets two goals within four minutes in stoppage time to really salvage just some momentum for this team, uh, which they really, really need. We're about to go into another international break for uh, either World Cup qualifiers or European, more European qualifiers, and United is going to get some guys back healthy in the midfield, in the attack, which is huge. They've had so, so, so many injuries this season. Uh, And this is a great game going into that next break to kind of like give yourself some confidence. But it's far from out of the woods with how this team's played this year.
1: Sporting news doing the Lord's work here as we wrap up. I've been very irritated at the lack of sackings by the managers. And as of October 5th, they wrote an article updating the odds to be fired. The overwhelming favorite with four to five odds is a guy, a fellow named Paul Heckenbottom. My God, is that an EPL manager name is Sheffield United. He is the heavy favorite to be sacked next. The rest of these guys have some uh, pretty long odds, but this article says they're, First sacking of the season comes with an average of about 10 point 10 and a half matches into the year. So maybe we're approaching the Carnage territory. Thoughts and prayers to our guy, Heckenbottom. But maybe the next time we do this, we'll have a sacking to discuss.
0: I would say it's definitely possible. I mean, I'm looking at his deal. they are one and 7 So that's not exactly great uh, for them. I would say you're looking really close to it. All eyes are on Paul Heckingbottom.
1: He is Weldon Rodenberg. This has been Soccer Corner. I appreciate the time, my dude. And we'll check in with you next week. All right, man. See ya. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks to Weldon, as always, for his time. We've got some good stuff for you coming through out the bye week, maybe some basketball talk as well. So tons of good content, even though Ole Miss does not have a game this weekend. But uh, stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the show, as always. And we'll catch you here in a couple of days.